Good morning. Glad you're here today. Uh, today we are continuing the uh, community Bible experience that we started uh, last week. If you're new today, just a quick overview of what it is. Uh, starting last week, we've committed as a church family as many as can. We're encouraging people to read through the New Testament with us over the next uh, eight weeks. Um, and you know, this past week we read through the book of Acts and Paul's first two letters to the Christians and the churches in Thessalonica in present-day Greece. A lot of great stories in there, a lot of powerful truths, and it's hard to decide about what to preach on. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite stories out there, I'm not preaching on it today, but it's a story about a young man named Eutychus, and he's in church, and it's a house church. He's on the, on the upper floor, and Paul's the preacher for the day, and it says he preached so long, the guy fell asleep, fell out of the window. Okay? That, I'm going to try not to do that today, and if you do fall over, it's not that far. So what I'm doing today, though, is speaking, obviously, out of Acts chapter 17. And the topic we'll be looking at are is the issue of worldviews, of, of belief systems. And, you know, there's a tremendous spiritual hunger in our world today. If you walk into a Barnes and Noble bookstore, for instance, and you go to the religion or spirituality section, you'll find rows and rows of books on a variety of topics uh, looking at Islam or Judaism, or Buddhism, or Hinduism, Christianity, New Age beliefs, astrology, so on and so forth. Sort of a a spiritual smorgasbord. And if you so choose, and some people do, you could pick a book from this section, and a book from that section, a book from this section, and take the bits and pieces you like from those particular worldviews, throw them together, and call it your own. Sort of a la carte spirituality. An example of this is found in a book called Habits of the Heart. It's written by a, a sociologist. And in the book, she refers to a, a woman named Sheila who named a religion after herself. And I quote, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's called Sheilaism. And this is what Sheilaism believes. In defining my own Sheilaism, it's just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. Not bad things, but, you know, the, the good thing, the good part about defining your own religion is what is you you have a lot of freedom, right? You can choose all the parts of different religions that won't interfere or inconvenience you in your life. You can choose mercy and love and acceptance and skip the parts about moral obligations. Uh, you can choose the parts about how to be a, a strong, empowered personality and leave out the part about Repentance of sin and making things right with people you hurt. You can leave out the part about any sort of transcendent moral authority to which you must give an account for your life. In this sort of designer religion, you're the boss. You can be religious, but without any of the inconvenience. So given the landscape in which we live, all these different religions and worldviews, what should we do? How are we to respond we're going to be looking at Acts 17 and looking at the example of Paul and see how he demonstrated for us uh, three different responses that we are to embrace. But before we do that, I thought it'd be helpful for us to kind of do a general overview of so three different general responses uh, or groups that we see sometimes in this landscape. The first group, let's call uncritical. OK, uh, this group believes that you can believe whatever you like. It doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. It's just a matter of personal choice. Whether you're Buddhist or Christian or Shilaist, it doesn't matter. You're serving the same God. This group is very accepting because they believe that sincerity is really all that matters. 
We're going to call the second group uncaring. Now, that's a little bit harsh, so we can think of it also maybe as self-focused instead of uncaring, because they do care. They care about other people. They care about the truth. But when push comes to shove, they care mainly about themselves. Sort of like on the TV, the, the reality show Survivor, you know, the, where people are put on the island and they have different challenges and things they have to go through and building alliances. And, and every week somebody's voted off the island until one person's left and they win a million dollars. And if you're on that island, you do care a little bit about the other people on the island. But the truth is, when push comes to shove, you're more concerned about yourself. The third group could be called unprepared. They, they know what they believe. They believe it's true, but they don't know what to say. Their worst fear is that somebody will engage them and ask them, what do you believe and why do you believe it? And, and they, just, they just can't imagine that situation. So we could call them unprepared. Now, if you're in that last group, the unprepared group, you've got good company. OK, I read recently about a, a seminary professor who did a survey of some graduates and he found that the vast majority of them were unable to respond intelligently and articulately when he played devil's advocate, when he questioned them about their faith. A lot of us, if we do care, maybe don't feel like we're qualified uh, enough to deal with those who belong to other religious groups and worldviews. So what we're going to do is now we're going to look at Acts 17 and we're going to pull out of this three things, three responses that we can have if we want to be prepared and and, and to engage uh, those around us who have different belief systems. Now, and we're going to discover as we look at it is really the landscape is, is nothing new because back in Acts 17, uh, when Paul went to Athens, he ran into the same thing, the uh, same situation that so many of us face today. Uh, he discovered that they had a lot of gods. He discovered that they were pretty much open-minded about everything. Everything is, is equally valid. Uh, anytime they came in contact with a group of people, the Romans would conquer them, and then they would kind of assimilate their different gods, just add them to their list of gods, to their pantheon. Somebody has said that the pantheon was like a Motel 6 uh, for gods. They'd always leave a light on for the next one. So they, they had lots of gods on Mount Olympus. Take a look at verse 21, where Paul describes what he finds when he comes to Athens. All the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the the latest ideas. Sounds, again, a little bit like today. Lots of different worldviews and beliefs and discussion. And it's here that Paul demonstrates how we can react to these different worldviews that we find today. First, Paul says, don't be uncritical. Be discerning. Okay? There's a story about a pastor who was on an airplane and he sat next to a woman and he engaged her in conversation and he discovered that in her in her marriage, uh, one was Catholic and the other was Jewish and they didn't practice much. They would occasionally go to synagogue or maybe Catholic mass at Christmas or Easter. Uh, and the pastor asked, do you ever wonder which one is right? She said, no, I really haven't really thought about that. She said, they're both saying pretty much the same thing, aren't they? And that response really isn't unusual, is it? Many people believe that all religions are basically the same, that they're all different uh, pathways to the same God. For instance, Steve Van Brandt, who played guitar in Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, uh, said this. I'm a reformed Taoist, part-time Buddhist, Hindu, animist, pagan, Jewish mystic, and Christian. 
I've always got along great with priests and rabbis and mullahs and, and gurus, even though I spend most of my time constructively criticizing them. In other words, you don't have to choose your religion anymore. You can belong to all of them while at the same time criticizing them, which is kind of a, quite a deal, isn't it? And Athens was kind of like that. Verse 23, Paul says, As I was walking along, I saw your many altars, and one of them had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. They were spiritual people. They were searching for God. They were covering all the bases. A long time before Paul went to Athens, the story goes, they had this big epidemic, and people were getting sick in Athens. They were dying, and they were getting desperately ill. And so they decided to release a whole flock of sheep. Why would they do that? They wanted to appease the gods. And so whenever a sheep would lay down to one of the altars, they would sacrifice that sheep, hoping to appease that god. They wanted to make sure. And then because they thought there might be some god that we don't know about, if a sheep laid down somewhere not close to an altar, they would, they would sacrifice it to the unknown god. But listen to what Paul says. You have been worshiping him, this unknown god, without knowing who he is. And now I wish to tell you about him. Paul points out, yes, your instincts are right. There is a God that you're missing in your pantheon of beliefs. There is a God. He created the universe. He gives life and breath to everyone. He is the judge of all. He is the only God worth thinking about. And Paul says you can know him through his son, Jesus Christ. He says there's no need to cover your bases with all these different gods. Be discerning. Worship the one true God. Be discerning. You know, some people would say that all religions are more or less the same, and which is really deeply insulting to those who hold different belief systems. If you think about it logically, you know, some Hindu groups claim 330 million gods. Judaism has one God. Some Buddhists have no gods. The fastest growing belief system today is naturalism. And it says that there's no such thing as a supernatural that we're all just a, a cosmic accident where some atoms collided and this is the result. And to say that all these belief systems are the same and equally valid logically just cannot be true, can it? I've got to admit, though, that it's appealing and attractive to, to believe that everybody's going to go to heaven as long as they're sincere. But the Bible says that sin has separated us from God, that there's a huge chasm between this incredible creator, perfect God, and, and us, we all have flaws. We all have sins. I know that I do. And all these different belief systems try different ways to get across that, that gap, that chasm. Some try sincerity. If you're sincere enough, it'll bridge that gap. Some try rules. If you do enough good things, if you follow the, the law and follow the rules, that'll get you to God. But that falls short. Some people take the hereditary approach. Well, if my, my mom was a Christian, my uncle was a Christian... They try many different beliefs or approaches to God, but none of them work. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He's the only way. And so the first action that we need to take is to believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the only person who can provide the only way to the only God who has created you and me in his image. We are to give our lives to him. 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6 says this, According to some people, there are many so-called gods and many lords, both in heaven and on earth. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created everything, 
and we exist for him. And there is only one Lord Jesus Christ through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. So we are not to believe that it doesn't matter what we believe. We're not to believe it's just simply a matter of preference. We are to be discerning and know that Jesus Christ is the only way. The second perspective that we need to deal with competing religious systems is to not be uncaring or self-focused, to be concerned. Try this sometime. Next time you're in the elevator and the door is closed and it's crowded, turn and just start looking at people right in the face. See how they respond. It makes them uncomfortable, right? Partly because it's sort of a societal expectation. You just don't do that, right? You don't really know them. Let's, I don't want to look at them. They don't want to look at me. But it's kind of a little bit of a, a picture of our society. We become so isolated, so detached from those around us. We're also encouraged to be accepting of everybody else's choices and actions. Seinfeld taught us this phrase, not that there's anything wrong with that. We privatize our choices and say, well, I wouldn't have made that choice, but, but who am I to say otherwise? And as a result, we end up being unconcerned about those around us. But listen to what happens to Paul as he enters Athens, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And that word deeply troubled means emotionally distraught. He's upset. He's he's concerned. He's not dispassionate about all these people who have different belief systems and worldviews. He's concerned about what they believe. Why? Because truth matters. Truth matters. Matters. What we believe matters. And that's a a little bit of a difficult concept for many people in our society. Because part of the problem is that we're taught that there's no such thing as truth. Postmodernism teaches us that, that there's no such thing as objective, universal truth. It's just our own subjective experience that defines us and counts. All viewpoints, all lifestyles, all beliefs and behaviors are equally Valid. A lot of institutions have been teaching this for years. And that belief system begins to affect how we live and act. I read recently about a a college class and and the professor was getting really frustrated because the students refused to condemn. They're studying another culture and they refused to condemn human sacrifices because they believe they didn't have the right to criticize another culture. In this worldview, we all get to decide for ourselves what's what's right and what's wrong. For instance, the example of a man named Dennis Lee Curtis. He was arrested in South Dakota for robbery. And and apparently he was a robber who had some some scruples because he had his own code of of thievery in his uh, wallet. Here's what he wrote. I will not kill anyone unless I have to. I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. I will rob only at night. I will not wear a mask. I will not rob many marts or 7-Eleven stores. If I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased in a vehicle, I will pull over and not put the lives of innocent civilians at risk. I will rob only seven months out of the year. I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. But guess what? When Curtis stood in front of the judge, his personal code of conduct didn't matter. He wasn't judged by his own standards. He was judged by the higher law of the state. Likewise, when we stand before God, our creator, we will not be judged by the code of morality 
that we have written for ourselves, but by God's perfect law. And so we need the truth. And we need to be concerned about others who don't know the truth. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So my question for you this morning is, do you know the truth? And if so, are you concerned about those who don't? The third and final perspective that we find here is, do not be unprepared, be ready. When Paul got up to speak here in, in chapter 17 in Athens, he was, he was prepared. He was ready. He quoted from philosophers that they knew about. He, he, he talked about the different idols they had in their community. He referenced, he met them where they were at. He was an intelligent and articulate spokesperson for faith in Jesus Christ. He is prepared to speak. You know, if you've ever heard of Rabbi Zacharias, he's an incredible author and, and apologist for the Christian faith. And he can go onto any university campus. I've seen his, his videos. I've read his books. Uh, and he can speak before any crowd and give a, a very credible defense of faith in Jesus Christ. Most of us are pretty uncomfortable with the idea of having to do that, but, but we are called to be prepared. The Apostle Peter wrote this, If you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. So how can we talk about our faith? We need to do our homework first. We need to know different worldviews and, and religions so that we can meet them and talk to them about it and, and show them the difference between their worldview and ours. We need to know our faith well enough to defend it. We don't have to have all the answers, but we have to know it well enough to defend it and speak about our faith in Christ. And we need to be respectful, not judgmental, but respectful. Uh, we're not going to win people over by arguments or by social media posts. We're not going to win them over um, with those sorts of things. We're going to win them by relationship, by showing them love, by building that relationship, and then trusting that God will use truth in their life through his Holy Spirit to bring them to faith in Christ. In short, we need to be prepared because if we care enough about the truth, we will. And the truth is this, in conclusion, the truth is that God loves the world so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. The truth is that Christ went to the cross and took our sins upon himself so that we could be saved and forgiven. The truth is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead so that we don't have to fear death anymore, but we can have the hope and the promise of eternal life. That's the heart of Christianity. That's, that's the heart of truth. But it's not just enough to understand it. Because Jesus Christ is more than a, a belief or world system, worldview system. Jesus Christ is the way. Again, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this morning, if, if you know the truth, I encourage you to, to grow in that truth, to grow in your faith. Be prepared to give an answer. Be concerned about those who don't know the truth. And if you're not sure if you know the truth, it's quite simple to respond. A, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your need for forgiveness. Acknowledge your need to get right with God. B, believe. Believe that Christ came to earth and died on the cross in your place. Believe he offers you grace and forgiveness. And then see, commit, commit your life to him. Hand him the reins of your life. Make him Lord and master and savior. Make him your leader. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for your truth. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul and how he 
He cared enough about people to speak truth in love. That he was prepared to share about his faith. Lord, I pray that the same would be true of us, that we who, who believe in you, Lord Jesus, we would be prepared to respond, that we would be discerning, that we would understand that truth is what matters. And Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, for those of us today who perhaps uh, aren't sure where they stand, Father, I just pray that they, would, that they would acknowledge their sin, that they would believe in Jesus Christ, and that they would commit their lives to him. And Lord, I believe with all my heart, and your word tells us that if a person does that, that they are saved. And so, Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus Christ uh, is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Just stand as we respond to the word we've received.